Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. With us now is John Luth. He is the Deputy State Director of AFP Kansas. And he's with us to kind of tell us about uh, something that happened. And this is happening over and over. It has happened multiple times since I was in the legislature. But finally, maybe, finally, hopefully, in 2024, the state will finally get something done about civil asset forfeiture in Kansas. John, thank you for joining us this evening. It's a pleasure to have you in studio with us. Nice to have you. Merry Christmas, brother. Merry Christmas. No, really glad to be here. You know, it could be a little merrier Christmas. If, yeah. Uh, yeah. Kansans didn't have to worry about waking up one morning and no. just losing a car. Well, something. and we're again, we're only talking about people who've had an interaction, negative interaction with law enforcement. Yeah. But so, so let's start with some people who may not understand civil asset forfeiture. The gist of it is you've had a bad interaction with law enforcement for whatever reason, you know, you've been accused of a crime. Well, actually, you don't even have to be accused of a crime. No. Here, I'll let you summarize civil assets. Yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. And actually, we just got uh, research back um, in an interim committee that had just recently occurred um, on December 8th talking about this where they discussed that uh, – I don't remember the exact percentage, so I don't want to give it. But the vast, significant majority of these uh, asset forfeiture in, uh, situations occur – you would have guessed it, roadside stops, yeah. traffic stops. Yep. And what happens is in that interaction, for some reason or another, an officer might make the decision utilizing uh, a standard called preponderance of the evidence, which is one of the lowest legal right. burdens to, to right. do anything. Uh, and they can at that point choose to seize your vehicle, never press you with any charges, never have to convict you of, of a crime, never have to tie it to anything in criminal justice at all, and then unless you sue them to prove the innocence of your property. Right. As yourself. opposed to innocent until proven guilty. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yes. We totally flip it on, on its head here. Uh, they get to eventually keep and then sell off that property or, or decide to keep that property if it's good for uh, any other usages there. Or certainly if it's money, certainly a lot of cash gets uh, caught up in the civil asset forfeiture process as well. Yeah. And you know, now – Again, and I, we're talking to, so you're, you're talking to someone here who's been endorsed multiple times by a fraternal order of police. I was six years. I was the chair of the Kansas Commission on Peace Officers Standards and Training. You're not going to find a former legislator, a radio host who's more pro law enforcement. All that being said, civil asset forfeiture is civil ass at. I mean, it is, it is crock of malure. And this, the problem I've had with this, and I've had this even when I was in the legislature, Gail Finney, Democrat, 
I'm a conservative, polar opposites on issues. She and I were were absolutely in sync on this issue. We tried together to put a bill together when I was in the legislature. They've been trying for time and time again for years to get this done. One year they did a study, and then one year they did an interim committee, and then another year they sent it to the court for a judicial review. They've been putting this off and kicking it can down the road. And the core thing here, at minimum, the police should at least have to, well, at best case scenario, they should have to get a conviction. But at a minimum, you should at least have to be charged before law enforcement should seize your property. It's, it is a complete asinine uh, injustice that law enforcement is able to seize your property without just cause. And yet they do without due process. Absolutely. And that's what that's the biggest thing here is I think uh, interim committee chairman Owens nailed it perfectly um, at one point during the committee when he just said very plainly, like, take a look at this committee. There is no one here you can accuse of being anti-police. No. Chairman Owens has been a champion for the police. Uh, Vice Chair Kelly, as chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, don't quote me on this exactly, but I'm pretty sure she's passed, at least in recent years, the most pro-police reforms that they've asked for of anybody chairing that committee. Yeah. So the, the legislators know, the people of Kansas know, what this is about is not about our police. It's about due process and constitutionally protected rights. That's what we're talking about. We need to shore that up. We need to make sure that Kansans are innocent until proven guilty. And, and even greater than that, that Kansans' property can't be guilty of a crime that somehow they're not guilty of. This makes no sense. Right. And, and that's I mean, that's really the thing. And I know that AFP recently, the Americans for Prosperity Foundation, rather, recently unveiled a new report analyzing civil asset forfeiture data in Kansas. And it's I mean, it's not it was not good numbers. These were embarrassing numbers for the state. And don't get me wrong. I know law enforcement has been historically underfunded, but I'm sorry. This is not the way you make that money up. This is not it's not the proper way for law enforcement to pad their coffers. Absolutely. And and for us, this is really a, a sticking point is we have said multiple times, we have testified and we'll continue to testify. We fully want to support our police and believe that as a core function of government, they need to be fully funded. Yes. Let's make sure that's happening. And, and one thing I want to point out about that uh, report from Americans for Prosperity Foundation, as I know there's been some questions about, well, where did this data come from? All of it comes from the KBI database. Right. Um, so just keep that in mind. We are just aggregating the information that the Kansas Bureau of Investigations houses on their own public database. Um, and then with that, you hit on another point that really, really uh, we need to think about is the idea of, of proper funding. And then also, though, what is the impact of the time and, and cost of this? including on solving actual crimes. And in a paper published by former KBI agent and retired Kansas Sheriff Curry Myers in 2022, titled Fines, Fees, and Forfeiture, Impact on Policing, he actually cites a study that shows a significant, significantly uh, lower rate of actual crimes being solved in police entities that have to rely on fines, fines fees, and forfeitures to help with some of that funding. Right. And we if need the, to solve that If the problem. issue is that they're not adequately funded, then that there's another stream for fixing this. But if you look at these this, these numbers, and again, they come straight from KBI, so it's not like AFP Foundation 
you know, tweak these numbers. But if you look at them, for example, owners of seized property in the Kansas Asset Seizure and Forfeiture Repository have recouped just 10% of the value of their seized assets. Again, these seized assets largely, they were not accused with a crime. They were not convicted of a crime. And for those few people who were fortunate enough to recover their property, it took them an average of 413 days. I mean, so you took it, and it took me over a year to get it back. And in most of those cases, yeah, I wasn't even charged or convicted of a crime. Absolutely. And, and, and God knows how much it cost me to sue the state to get that money back. Well, so that's actually, that was a topic that came up quite a bit in the interim committee that I was really thrilled about. I believe it was um, the Kansas Justice Institute had a rough estimate of, I think it was about $5,000, which is for you also notice from that report, 62% uh, approximately of all of the assets seized are valued at $5,000 or less. Right. So drill into that a little more. 50% are $3,000 or less. Right. So that's how absurd this gets. The interim committee actually proposed and presented – I shouldn't say proposed because uh, they had to put out an official proposal. So I want to be clear, not included in their proposal, but brought up the point that they actually think that that guess and estimate for how much it costs to sue the state back is aggressively low and that it's going to cost you significantly more. Because one of the other things that does not exist in civil asset forfeiture is you have no rights to an attorney. You have no rights right. to a jury trial. You have to be the one to bring lawsuit and either represent yourself or have the money to get a private attorney, many of which won't take the cases because at $5,000 of recovery, right. it's, it's not It's not worth, worth it, it for the lawyer. I mean, I know I've had to hire attorneys. I know what the retainers are. I mean, basically, a re general retainer is 1500 bucks. Yeah. So, and that's, yeah, getting the damages back, trust me, it's, Jonathan, let me ask you this, and I know we're coming up on a break here. Um where do you think this goes? Do you think in 2024 the legislature will finally pass something? And if they do, is it at least going to be a requires for a conviction? Or do you think they're not going to quite go that far? What do you think we see next session, if anything? Yeah, I would certainly love to see a requirement for a conviction. But what I can say really confidently is when you look at the coalition of leaders in the legislature who are, again, no one can say are anti-police, and everyone can look at and truly see in their record that this is due process and constitutional rights. Um, we're going to get something done. We're going to get something done that is going to be to the benefit of Kansans, even if that is something as simple um, along with uh, as much reform as we can get. But even just raising the burden for police to be able to seize your property from that egregiously low preponderance right. of an evidence is going to make a significant difference. And that's where I know we're going to be able to get some good work done. Um, and fortunately, the interim committee included that in their recommendation as well. So well, I will tell you one thing. In 2025, there will be at least one more legislator in there who will be willing to fight for this. And frankly, I think we should call it Gail Finney's laws. So um, uh, just so that you know, we shared the uh, report on the John Whitmer Show Facebook page. If folks are interested, if they want more information about this, if they want information on the study, what's the best way for them to reach out? Yeah, so they can always find us at info 
ks at afphq.org. You can shoot us an email there, or you can find us on social media, Americans for Prosperity Kansas on Facebook or at AFP Kansas on Twitter and Instagram. Brother, I appreciate you as always. Have a Merry Christmas. Keep up the good work door knocking and uh, just carry on the fight, my friend. Always, always. Thanks so much again, and you guys have a very Merry Christmas as well. Appreciate you, my Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Friend, earlier last week, a new program, a bipartisan campaign, was launched to help individuals with intellectual and and development disabilities in Kansas to help those folks on the wait list. With us now is Kansas State Treasurer Stephen Johnson and Kansas Department for Aging and Disability Services, uh, excuse me, Kansas Council on Developmental Disabilities Executive Director Sarah Hart Weir. Guys, thank you for joining us this evening, and Merry Christmas to you both. And Merry Christmas to you, John. Great to be with you. Yes, good to see you. Good to be back with you, John. So it's nice to have you both with us. Uh, Stephen, every time I hear you, I think of you and I singing uh, hymns and carols out of the fifth floor balcony. So I'm sorry, it just brings back fond memories. (laughs) I was thinking of that same thing as I was hearing the carol uh, as we played in there. Great minds think alike. <laughs> what? So great well, memories. I look forward to when we do it next. That... <laughs> Sarah, that's sure I get an invitation. That's what I was going to say. When if if, uh, if I happen to find myself back in Topeka anytime soon, <laughs> we'll have to uh, we'll have to get the old gang back together and invite Sarah to come in and sing soprano with us. All right. <laughs> That sounds good. I don't know. I think I'm a better better audience member. Uh, Too late. Too late. (laughs) Trust trust me, after all this radio time, my voice gets a little hoarse, so I may not be much of a singer anymore either. But we'll we'll give it the old college try. Um, Let me ask you this, Sarah. This is a... It's a new program, and why don't you kind of walk my audience through it, give them an idea what this is and what it's designed to do. Absolutely, John. Excited again to be be on with you this evening to talk about this really exciting new program that really is all about meeting individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities where they are throughout the great state of Kansas, um, you know, the, the real challenge that our community continues to face is that, unfortunately, um, our wait list for services for the IDD community has reached an all-time high, uh, 5,100 individuals who are waiting 10-plus years to get these services throughout Kansas. And so um, we teamed up, the council was really honored to team up with the treasurer and um, the secretary of KDADS, 
to pull this partnership together to educate these individuals, their families and caregivers about a great private sector tool called ABLE Accounts, which I know I've talked about on your show in the past, John, um, that really provide a private sector savings tool for individuals with disabilities to be able to save for the future. And this roadshow is all about meeting them throughout Kansas where they are and offering them free education and outreach and some hopefully a really nice incentive to open up an ABLE account while they wait for their home and community-based waiver services. And, Stephen, there's, as I understand it, this, the ABLE program currently has, like, over 1,800 open accounts with a, a total of over $16 million in assets under management. So it's a great opportunity for folks, if they qualify, to to tap into this program, Correct. It is, and the opportunity is great. And I can't give Sarah enough credit for, to our earlier point, getting us all to sing off the same song sheet. Right. It was her <laughs> Nicely done. Say, yeah. Nicely done. Um, yeah, and, and her energy and promotion is really key, but she saw that the treasurer's office is responsible for opening the accounts, but uh, KDADS and the Kansas Council for Developmental Disabilities is so good at reaching the folks so, as she mentioned, with 5,100 on the wait list, if we could reach a fraction of that, we could approach doubling the number of accounts that we have. While it doesn't fix every problem for everyone, it is another tool that can make a meaningful difference uh, today and in the future of the lives that have the, the intellectual or developmental disability. So we look forward to working through that. And, and we flash back, John, as you mentioned those numbers, that goes back to when you were Representative Whitmer and that legislature that passed this with Sarah's help and others working to make sure we had the right policy there. So we have the ability to do it. We've absolutely gotten it started, but Sarah sees how much farther we have to go and has brought together the resources, which is really important to make sure that we're there, uh, that we're able to help people open the accounts, not only to know that they can, but to help them, uh, to educate from a mindset that was set, don't make any money or you'll get in trouble with your uh, Medicaid or SSI benefits, and uh, how can we make sure that that people can still do the financial planning that they can using the ABLE account? Sarah, how do we get to a point where – this many people, over 5,000, are waiting 10 years for service. I mean, that's just, frankly, that's obscene. And, and you know, and I, I hear the governor talking about Medicaid expansion, and, and, and I, I think about people waiting 10 years, and I wonder how is expanding services to 150 to 300,000 more people going to affect people who've been waiting 10 years for, I mean, it's just, and I don't want to politicize this, because the point of this isn't politics, but... It, I find it obscene that this community, that this portion of Kansans who are truly in need, and I, I guess part of this hits home for me because my aunt had Downs and, and lived a very full and complete life well into her late 50s. And, and I think, of, you know, we were in a position my mother cared for her her entire life, so she didn't really need uh, state assistance. But I, I can't imagine someone having to wait 10 years. I think that's a, a, a complete and total failure of leadership 
And I don't understand why someone would have to wait that long. It's, you know, it's the complete opposite of the partnership, I think, that we were able to pull together with the treasurer and, again, with Secretary Howard and our council. And, you know, John, it's, it's something on the advocacy front that we are rolling up our sleeves and we are going to address in this next leg- in this next legislative session. I'm glad. You and know, and I pr- I, I'm so proud of you and Stephen and for what you're trying to do. I it just I'm so I'm. It's frustrating to think that people have had to wait that long. It, it's it very is. frustrating. And, it's and it's frustrating who, for those on the list. Oh, I can only imagine oh. what they're going through. I, I just, ugh. And, you know, you know, I, John, as somebody who spent time in Washington and, you know, back in my home state of Kansas, you know, and really immersed in working with self-advocates and families and caregivers all across the state, you know, you can't even appreciate the struggles that our families are having. And in fact, you know, you mentioned your your personal connection. Uh, you know, the only way individuals that are are getting to the top of the list in Kansas right now to access these services that they need um, are when they become a crisis situation, when they've lost a parent or a caregiver. And that's not that's not leadership. That's no. not how we modernize public policy. And in fact. You know, we were on another show um, that's coming out this week talking about the waitlist crisis. And, you know, this governor has yet to increase waitlist funding um, at all during her administration. And so we are pushing hard on leadership to have that be part of, of her budget framework that's coming out in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, our our goal here is to hold her accountable and work um, side by side with our legislative leaders to ensure that we start to reduce the wait list because it, it's at a historic high and it hasn't been seen an increase in funding since the Brownback administration. And, you know, Stephen, that's the sad part here is, you know, I think of Sarah just mentioned a, a death in the family or something. And I think of what would have happened to Sarah Jane. That was my aunt. If something had, had happened to my mother, uh, if if she had passed before Sarah Jane did, what would Sarah Jane have done? Now, obviously, I, you know, I, if I had, hadn't been an adult, then I don't know what I would have done, but she would have gone into the system. And, you know, you see Laura Kelly, who's, you know, boy, she, you know, she had money to put up a real nice fence around Cedarcrest, but she's done nothing to help people on the wait list, and she's been governor for seven years. And it just comes down to priorities. And I, I, I'm, I, commend you uh, for uh, your leadership on a program like this. And I just think it really, we do have to put a little pressure on the governor. She's touting Medicaid expansion. That's a priority for her, but people on a wait list that are waiting 10 years, not a, not a priority apparently for governor Kelly. So you're right. Those are the things that have to happen. We do have to address the wait list as well. That's a policy piece. And uh, perhaps if, um, there are some folks back in the legislature that can help work <laughs> on that and push the governor. Um, we can we can hit that directly as well. But in the meantime, uh, we do at least share the goal of uh, getting in front of folks with the tools that exist. And um, uh, I, I'm excited to see if there's a several hundred. I'm convinced Sarah's work will will open a ton of accounts that we'll see this year. And the assets and the planning that that does over the next 10 years, I think, will be really significant. Sarah, so we I wonder who he was talking year. about there. 
<laughs> did, did you wonder? I, I Just a rumor. You know, Stephen, uh, I've got a nice long list of uh, endorsements. You're welcome to add your name to that list if you'd like. I'm, we're taking them now. So uh, we're up to 20. Very You're welcome good. to add your name. <laughs> Very good. If folks want well. uh, want more information on this program, what's the best way? If they want, if they need information, if, they, if they're if they trying to get access to the ABLE Act, what's the best way for the for them to get signed up for this program? So a number of ways, and Sarah, I'll I'll let you talk to the, a lot of the general information. If somebody is ready to sign up, you can go to KansasStateTreasurer.com, go to Savings Programs, which is the second link after Search Unclaimed Property, and there you will find a link to ABLE, which will work uh, through those processes, and then just call a number as well, and we'll help you through it. But uh, Sarah, would you like to add to that? Absolutely, Stephen. You know, I have to say the treasurer's team is incredible. They will help you every step of the way open and access your Kansas ABLE program. For our roadshow, John, we will be posting information about our 2024 uh, locations and sites throughout Kansas on our kcdd.org uh, website. Um, that information will be readily available and will, of course, be um, offering virtual options for different um, educational forums and ABLE 101 sessions happening all across uh, next year. Well, Stephen, when you guys get the roadshow heading to Wichita, make sure Clint sends me an email. I'll still be here behind the microphone, well, not, not behind the microphone, but behind the scenes and I'll make sure that we have you guys back on the show with whoever the guest host is, and we'll uh, we'll make sure to help you plug the uh, the road show when it comes to Central County. All right? That would be great because the help getting the word out is the key. So thanks for being part of that. Of course, of course. Wish you both the best. Thank you for what you're doing here. This is you're doing yeoman's work. I really appreciate you both. Uh, Merry Christmas and a happy New Year to both of you. Thank you, John. Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to you as well. See you soon, Sarah. With us now is Representative Christy Williams. She was involved in a in a hearing before uh, not earlier this week, or rather last week, when uh, Kansas auditors asserted that violations of state law on spending of state uh, had aid came up. And I wanted to reach out to her and ask her exactly what had been going on. And whether or not we're going to see, well, questions about a little bit more details on state audits of school spending after a legislative committee on Tuesday ordered a limited scope audit of possibly two school districts to determine whether their spending complies with state law. Christy, thank you for joining us this evening. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, your husband, your family as well. Thank you, John. I'm glad to be here today. So the, the post-audit committee uh, agreed to a request from a Republican state representative for an audit examining whether school districts comply with state law. She had a couple of questions about a couple of districts within her, uh, within her house district. But this, and we don't need to go into the details regarding her particular house districts, but this does... Uh, beg the question whether or not we should be looking a little more closely in general at at how some of these districts are spending money because it reminds me of 
a story that came out in July where the legislators' auditors produced a report that highlighted violations of state law in particular where you guys had appropriated over $400 million to specifically target you know, the low-income kids that are struggling, and some districts had misappropriated those funds. And I, and I think there's nothing wrong with the legislature starting to say, wait a minute, we need to take a closer look at how any entity, be it schools, governments, local, whatever, are spending the taxpayer money. Sure. I mean, absolutely, John. We spend from the state position between five and six billion dollars of state tax dollars for school districts. And yes, we want to make sure that those dollars are getting to our kids in the classroom. And you're referencing the at-risk audit. We did that um, audit, uh but we also did one a few years back with the same result. And what we found is that 98% of all of the at-risk funds were spent on regular classroom teachers. And the problem is the statute says it should be going to students for above and beyond purposes. So more than they would normally get in a regular classroom. And it just doesn't appear that our districts are following through and getting the much needed services to kids that are um, classified as at risk, which there is a whole gamut, which it could be a student that is low income. It could be a student from a single parent home. It could be a student that is below grade level or has dyslexia. But nevertheless, the bottom line is that we all need to be really diligent in making sure that those dollars get to our kids. Well, and and I think you and I would both probably agree that we want to see money going to the classroom. That, I think, doesn't matter what side of the aisle you sit on. We all would agree we want to see money going to the classroom. But the key here is if the legislature specifically targets and says this particular set of funds needs to be spent at, at on at risk, then that's where it needs to be spent because that's how it was delineated. And they, they being the school districts, or for that matter, any other governmental entity, doesn't therefore get to decide, no, we want to spend it someplace else because that's not their purview. Right, absolutely. We also had an audit that said that money that's not targeted will not guarantee any improvement in outcomes. Right. And that's what we're seeing. We're we're throwing more and more money into a system, but if it's not targeted for specific purposes, then we can't guarantee that it's going to improve the outcomes for our kids. And right now, our kids, especially those kids that come from lower incomes, um, have a much greater risk of graduating without being able to read at grade level or being able to do basic math. And that's just not fair to those students, those families, or our communities and prospective uh, employers. Well, and what what bothers me is that I don't get the sense of urgency or the or even a, a it, I guess I don't, I don't it, it seems to me like the Department of Education the Board of Education just doesn't really care that the legislature gave you a directive or gave them a directive it's like they eh, well, whatever you know we're gonna spend it how we want to spend it is that the okay, attitude I, that you got out of this or am I misinterpreting it you know I think that we 
have a lot of area in which to improve on. If there were things in the statute related to at-risk funding and at-risk requirements that weren't working, um, there are partners. They should be coming to us and, and telling us this doesn't work. We, we need more latitude or we need to change. But if we don't have that kind of communication, then we're going to end up spinning our wheels, pouring more money into a system and not getting the results. Ultimately, John, I think all of the taxpayers of Kansas want to be sure our kids can read and write, right. that we, we get rid of politics in the classroom, and we focus on improving our basic skills. And until we get that, I think we're going to be still knocking on the door of uh, every school district and looking for ways to improve outcomes. So what do you think happens next year? I, mean, I think obviously we've now learned that, that trying to pursue things like, you know, full school choice and things like that isn't going to work as long as we have this governor. But I, I, I do think that looking at ways to make sure that the taxpayer money is being spent at least the way it's directed, that's reasonable. And people who on both sides of the aisle should at least be interested in making sure that money is being spent in the way it was directed. That's reasonable. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that we need to go back to uh, if you're going to receive at-risk funding, then you have to show some type of improvement with your subgroups. And we need to put that back into statute. And in terms of school choice, we may not achieve that um, the way that we want to, but that's the only thing that is going to really drive better competition. Um, Well, actually drive better outcomes. Outcomes, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And so until we have that, then the customers, which are our parents and our students, aren't going to get the priority that they need. Um, But bottom line, John, I know we can do better. And so I'm just eager to continue to find ways to help kids just have a better shot at a better future. No, and I think you're right. And I, I, I do think the thing that many have lost focus on is the kids. I know a lot of schools, a lot of superintendents, they focus on graduation rates. But if you're graduating kids that don't know their read, writing, and ciphering, um, then it doesn't matter if you've graduated them. If they have the first thing they do when they get to college is take basic math, then, yeah. you know, then you're not doing your job at the elementary and the high school level. So, Christy, Absolutely. I... Absolutely. We can't lower standards. Right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, if folks want to get in touch with you, if they want to follow you, what's the best way for them to, to follow you or reach out? Or I know you've got a campaign coming up in 2024 as well. So if they want to volunteer or donate, what's the best way for them to reach out? Well, of course, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on our uh, Kansas legislature um, website. Um, I live in Augusta, and they can also give you a shout-out, John, because you know how to reach me. But um, <laughs> Christy Williams at Yahoo.com or Christy.Williams at HouseKS.gov. Christy, so, I appreciate you. From your listeners. Keep, keep up the good work, and you've got a busy schedule. I know coming up in 2024, busy legislative sessions. So just get the work done, get out, and get out there and door knock, all right? Yes, thank you so much. You have a great and Merry Christmas you as well. You too. Wish you, wish you all the best. Yeah, this is it. Wow. You know, this, this is it. This is my last show of the year and my last show for a little while. We won't be here for you uh, the following two Sundays since they fall on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. But the John Whitmer Show will be back after the new year. And uh, as I said earlier, since we don't want the liberals to be able to accuse us of any election interference or favoritism, 
We will have guest hosts filling in starting in 2024. But rest assured, I will be very involved with the show after the 2024 election. I'll be back. So regardless, I will be back behind this microphone, and I will be here for you going forward. And uh, if I'm fortunate enough to win, then we'll take the show on the road, and we'll broadcast live from Topeka uh, every Sunday night. We'll be here for you. And the show will be here for you in the interim. We're going to have some great guest hosts in 2024. Michael O'Donnell will start our show off, uh, start off the first of the year. Wink Hartman will be a guest host. Michael Austin uh, will be with us. We're going to have a host of guest hosts to start off next year. So we've got a whole bunch of plans, and uh, it's we've got some great plans. Tyrus will be back with us next year and some other major guests in 2024. So big things planned. I just won't be behind the microphone. So those of you who don't like me, Brandon Whipple will be relieved <laughs> in his retirement. <laughs> In the meantime, have a very, very Merry Christmas. Uh, Blessings from my home to yours. Uh, From everyone here at KNSS and the John Whitmer Show, I wish you a very Merry Christmas and a happy, happy, blessed New Year. It has been a pleasure to be with you for the last five years and hopefully for five more years. So thank you for the opportunity to be welcomed into your home. And uh, regardless, find me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter. I will be back one way or the other. So thank you very, very much. And uh, all my best. Merry Christmas to you all. And have a very Merry Christmas. Carry on, fellow deplorables. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 